actor. Been in some ridiculous roles over the years. Um, but he's actually a really profound um, human. And he's given himself to painting the last several years. Constantly painting. He's got to make something. And one of the things that he paints over and over again is Jesus' face. And he said, my goal... He said, there's just an energy around Jesus. I don't know how to relate to it. I don't understand it. But there's just an energy of love around Jesus and acceptance around Jesus. And I want to paint his face in such a way that, that as people would just stand and look into his face, they would experience the kind of healing that people experienced in the Gospels. That to be in the presence of Jesus was to experience healing. Physical, emotional spiritual, relational, everything coming back together. And this morning while we were singing, I see your face, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, I was... imagining extended eye contact with Jesus. And in that extended, extended eye contact with Jesus... stuff starts to get set right on the inside that we don't understand about ourselves. Things we've labored under for years to change. Things we've worked so hard to prove to ourselves weren't true suddenly become dislodged. And we didn't do it. But the temptation is to look away. And the temptation is to hide. We come alive in the presence of God. But in a thousand ways, religion being one of them, we hide from the presence of God. I'm just going to read this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Listen to the word of the Lord. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and I possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. But love will last forever. 
Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. I'm on a journey trying to figure out how to live this life in Christ and to live it well and to live it deeply. As many of you know, the purpose of my beard is to be an outward sign of this inward commitment that 2017 I'm committing myself to several very tightly focused things. First among them is to live as God's boy, his son. And to know God as Abba. Not Lord, not Master, not Sir, not great big massive God who made the universe who's powerful and terrifying and to approach him is to tremble. Not that. That's all true. But that's not what he put in me. What he put in me is the spirit of adoption by which we call out involuntarily, by which we just by nature, by which by new birth, by what he did, not by what we did, we find ourselves saying, Daddy, Abba. And so my simple prayer is, Abba, I belong to you. Teach me. I'm on this journey of realizing how many things I've learned that were not truth. I've been formed We're always formable, right? We never get to this stage of our life where we are no longer capable of change. That's that's not true. But I do recognize that there are really formative years. And in our really formative years, we're learning stuff. What is love? What is a real man? What is a real woman? What is friendship? You know? What do you do with your grief? What do you do with your anger? What do you do with your stress? Do you matter? Do you have value? What what is my worth? How do I know? These are just things. No one defines them for you growing up. But they drive you your whole life. And I'm in this journey of saying, you know, Jesus is exactly what God looks like. He didn't rescue us from God. He is God rescuing us from Satan, sin, and death. And I see in Jesus a life of love and power that I'm like, I, I help. I want this. Yes, you are what I want. And he says, yes, I want to train you, Tim, in how I see, to see the Father how I see the Father, to relate to the Father how I relate to the Father, to receive the Father's love and his voice and his direction the way I do. So come in here. I'm going to connect with you. 
Come here. Now we're connected. Everything I have is yours. Now, walk with me. Left foot, right foot, left foot. Okay, okay, get back up. I'm right here. Get back up. No, stop beating yourself up. You, you, you know what I mean? Or someone else says something critical and rude. No, 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 no. Stop defending yourself. Don't defend yourself. Why are you doing that? They don't have the authority to tell you who you are, so you don't have to be insecure. Yeah. It's a, like, so I'm on this journey of trying, really trying, to not try so hard. That doesn't make sense, right? And some of the things I've shared with this house over the last several months, they might sound like sermons, but they're not really. Because preaching is easy, it's the living that's hard. And so I preach to answer the questions my soul is asking. And my soul's been asking, how do I change? And God keeps saying things like relationship with me. And then I keep saying, like Caitlin said, that sounds too simple. And I keep praying things like, show me my... You say, Jesus, it's not about fruits. You make the tree good and the, and the fruit will be good. You say it's not about the, the outside, it's about the inside. So it's not just gritting your teeth and trying harder. It's letting God go deeper. It's funny how I'll learn something and then I'll find something later to, to um, authorize that or to verify that. I've been thinking, you know, it's really hard sometimes when you're not happy to have a healthy relationship with God because we're so ad- I'm so addicted. to not looking at myself and to not feeling my feelings. Like even now, I realize I am in a season of grief. Many of you are as well. But even though I know that I'm in a season of grief where the Holy Spirit has said to me, grieve. You were praying for me joy. And I was praying for me for joy. And my soul was like, not yet. That's not the word I need to hear. Although it was really helpful. And you were loving on me. My soul was going, you know what I really crave? I crave permission to grieve, to not be okay. And I realized so much about like that, that one little simple prayer, realizing what I was yearning to hear, then I just went ahead and said, okay, soul, you have permission to grieve. And why don't I feel permission to grieve? Well, because as a husband and as a father and as a pastor, I got to get my stuff together because people are depending on me. See, then you take that, well, then I take that to the Lord and he says, no, actually, you don't need to get your stuff together because people are depending on you. Your primary contribution on this planet is actually not your gifts or your strengths. Your primary contribution on this planet is your love and your vulnerability. And it's your weakness and your quickness to fall on me, depend on me, open yourself to me that I'm looking at as success. He got it upside down again, Tim. It's not your stability that I'm after. It's your heart. I keep coming back to this reality that God is love. And when I discover something out of alignment in my life with love, then I want to get to the root issue. Something's going on. Something's driving me other than love. 
And it's not, well, see, how vulnerable do I want to be this morning? My wife wrote me a letter this week. And it hurt. It really hurt. And she was confirming to me what I was already knowing. Something is wrong. So I'm trying to figure this out. Like even this morning, talking to Carrie, and I'm saying, okay, I know we learn enough, we heard enough. You remember this one, maybe you don't. We heard enough, we realize we need to change. We learn enough, we realize change is possible. We receive enough, we actually change. And it always comes back to this, this thing of our hearts. But how much do I have to receive and how do I do this? And how do I let God really, really let him in? How do I really let him in when everything in me just wants to look away? I don't want to feel my feelings. I just want to feel better. Enough about me. I don't like talking about me. This is uncomfortable. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous or boastful. Or pr- Actually, it is jealous, but just not in the sinful ways. Let's just be clear here, because God is a jealous God. There's healthy jealousy. You're mine. How dare you look at anyone else like that? You're mine. That's healthy jealousy. And then there's unhealthy jealousy of other people's gifts or whatever. We call it envy. God's not envious, and we're not envious when we're in a healthy place of love. But anyway... It's not boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. And it's the irritable one that I have a problem with lately. I'm irritable. Well, I'm grieving. That's not an excuse. Jesus grieved, but it was not irritable at the time. Well, I got a lot of stress on my life. You know, I got a lot of expectations. The explanations are never excuses. I said earlier, there's like two, two basic commitments the beard is representative of. And the first one was, I want to live as, as a son of Abba in, in an intimate relationship where he's reteaching me what I'm supposed to, my values, like core values of life. We've, no matter how godly your parents were, they were imperfect at best and more than likely screwed things up horribly, no matter how great their intentions were and no matter how much you love them. And it's not just that, the world itself been homeschooled in the wrong home but the second commitment besides I want to walk intimately with Abba as a son the second commitment is no excuses no excuses not making any excuses for anything in my life that's less than Jesus no lowering of the standard again explanations are never excuses they're explanations they might help us get to the root but they're never an excuse to stay where we are. Grace is not a license to sin. It's the freedom to walk in an environment of acceptance and affirmation that enables me to face myself without fear of rejection. I no longer have to pretend I'm better off for fear of someone rejecting me, including God, but rather I walk through the doorway of God's forgiveness into this place called grace and it becomes a home in which I live. But if I'm in this place of grace, then for the first time it's actually safe to say, man, I really screwed that up. Why? What is wrong with me? 
Now I can face myself in an environment of acceptance. I did get defensive with my wife's letter, by the way. And I did kind of of counterattack a little bit there. Verses 4 through 7. I find this so fascinating. Paul does not one time define what love is. Is that irritating to you guys? Not one time does he actually define what love is. He simply describes what love never does and what love always does. I find that really helpful. Uh, You know, it's really interesting to me, like, most of us, when we're very small human creatures learning how the world works, we learn from our primary caregivers what love is. No one gives us a dictionary definition or a, a biblical definition. We don't, that's not how humans work. We're emotional and relational creatures. Some of us are good at math, but none of us are that logical when you look at our life choices. That's not usually what drives humans. A craving for love tends to drive humans and meaning and purpose. And of these little formative creatures, when we're you know, ages zero to five especially, we're, we're forming a definition from our primary caregivers for what love is. And it's not a definition that most of us could ever put on paper. And if we did, we'd immediately see how broken it is. And then the rest of our life, we're living out of that. Or living out of that once it becomes more healed by God. I, I think it's so critically important that we let Abba father us. Because a lot of us, when we go seeking love as an adult, we don't realize that our broken understanding, broken definition of what love is, is causing us to recognize as love something that is less than love. Right? And so some of us are not very trustworthy with matters of the heart because the compass of our heart is all out of whack. Because we're not so much seeking to find healthy love as much as to suffer in familiar ways that are believable as love. I don't know if that made sense. But he doesn't define it for us. Here's what it never does. It's not irritable, it's not angry. It keeps no record of wrongs. Wow, interesting. It doesn't have that list that comes up. Here's the 17 things that you did over the last 10 years. You blankety blank. (laughs) We do that stuff. Here's the four ways you failed me today. We do that stuff. Here's the 16 things I need you to change about you. We do that stuff. When we're less than love. Of course, love love, love always confronts too. But when does the confrontation happen? And how does the confrontation happen? Well, that depends on love. Am I making any sense today or am I just talking out? Okay, a few people nodding. That's okay. Verse 7, love never gives up, never loses faith, always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. A lot of what I'm looking at in my life is this struggle. And if you ask me, how can, you pray, how can I pray for you? I have typically, over the past many you know, years since I began here and this, 
been plagued with, with challenges that cause me to come back to the question of like, why am I doing this? And you're the same. Don't, don't lie to me. You're the same. Hard things make you come back to why. Yes. One thing suffering will do for most of us is clarify our why. Why am I doing this? What does matter in life? And usually for most of us, it doesn't make us quit. Most of us, it doesn't make us quit unless what we're doing with our life doesn't line up with our purpose. The reason that some of us quit in hard times is because we're realizing this is not what I have, this is not why I'm on the planet. Man, I'm wasting my life. I want to be about this. This is really interesting to me. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So sometimes the perseverance problem is not a perseverance problem. It's a love problem. Sometimes the hope problem is not a hope problem. It's not a doctrinal issue. It's not a, Lord, just give me a vision of, of the future that's... That, no, it's, it's a love problem. And the giving up. Sometimes the giving up on people. It's not healthy boundaries like we claim it is. <laughs> we say lots of things when we're hurt. How many times have you had a conversation with someone where you said, what, what did you learn through that experience? And they'll tell you seven things and Jesus didn't teach them one of them. There are actually things that they're learning that came from pain and from lo- like, like essentially what they learned is, I'll make sure to be more judgmental next time so that I don't trust the wrong people. I'll make sure to put bigger guards around my heart so that I don't love people who might fail me. I'll learn to be more distrustful next time. I'll learn to trust my discernment, a.k.a. my tree of the knowledge of good and evil, constantly measuring and evaluating everyone from an earthly standpoint next time. And none of it's taught by Jesus. All of it's self-protective, not love. I'm not defining love, but I'm describing love. If, love is, if God is love and God looks just like Jesus, then what Jesus does in entering into the suffering of people he knows will kill him and reject him, not closing his heart down, but staying open the whole time, then a lot of the things that we think we learn through tragedy and pain are things that he will be working once we're surrendered to him again on those points to unteaching us, unlearning us. This whole thing comes back to truth and light in the inmost being. Jesus says you've been homeschooled in the wrong home. Lies have dominated the landscape of your inner world. But if you listen to me, if you'll follow me, if you'll walk with me, if you'll let me counsel you, counsel you if, you'll, if you'll listen to that voice that's behind you saying this is the way, walk in it, then I will unteach you these lies and I will teach you the truth and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Because sin, the definition of sin, if we were going to define it, well, I wouldn't define it, but if we were going to describe what it's not and what it is, a lot of us have an idea of sin as related to a bunch of commands that God has. If we break these commands, we're in sin. But sin is whatever humans do when we're disconnected from love. God is love. Not God does love. Not God has his love needs met because he's just so adored by angels. 
Thank you, angels. You saved my life here. Got my love tank filled. Whew. Now that I'm filled, now I have something to give these pathetic little creatures. It's not like that at all. He has no love tank. He has no needs. According to Paul. He is love. And so the question I've been asking, the question I'm asking, especially this morning, trying to figure out, Lord, I want to be love, is how can I get from this place of always thinking, I guess I need you to pour more love on me so that I then finally have something that I can live out of. Can you, can you see how that's still something left unfinished that I have to figure out a way to finish? It's just another seductive false gospel, isn't it? It's now instead of I got to become Jewish and fulfill these laws to get in, now it's I got to be psychologically astute and figure myself out. It's another Rubik's Cube of fixing me. And I, I hear Jesus saying, I, I'm in you. I'm in you already. And I am love. Quick, real quick. Revelation chapter 3, the Laodicean church. You don't have to turn there, but if you don't trust me, you probably should. That was a joke. You're allowed to laugh. It's church. If you can't laugh in church, why go? <clears throat> Jesus says to this, this whole congregation, these are believers, these are believers. You guys say, I'm rich, I have everything, I don't need anything. And you don't realize that you're, you're messed up. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm taking liberties here. You're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, and then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so that you will not be ashamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you'll be able to see I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, Jesus, talking to Christians. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. This is Jesus talking to Christians saying, let me in. Let me give you what you need. I have what you need. I'm your answer. And we're like, yeah, 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 Jesus. We know you saved me, my soul. And he's like, no, no, it's ongoing. Let me keep saving you in new ways. Let me save you in this area. Let me save you in this area. Let me save you in this area. Let me in, let me in. Now, that's fascinating. Like, like he, why would he knock and stand and wait? Why? Like, do you hear what I'm saying? Why? He owns everything. He runs this. Like, he's knocking. He's waiting. And he's saying, invite me in. Ask me. Invite me in. And I, I'll have friendship with you. And I'll give you exactly what you need. And then you'll actually have what you need. Which is me basically saying, Jesus is saying the same thing I'm saying. Relationship with Jesus is the answer still to this new area. You know, and again, like if, if you have a, a mindset like I do of, I, I, Lord, not yet, the house isn't clean enough to let you in. Let me fix some stuff for you here. Just hang outside there a while. And he's like, yeah, that'll never work. That'll never work. Yeah, he's standing there with the vacuum going, you looking for this? I, you got to go through me. Like, you know, and I'm like, I can't find my glasses. And he's like, you mean these? Let me in. 
Tim, let me in. Like, ah, I don't know if I want to face the mess. You know, let's just... All right, that's enough of me. Go ahead and show the uh, uh, video... We know that Jesus deals with the roots, so when our anger comes out, instead of just trying harder not to have angry outbursts, he would ask us to look at why we're having angry outbursts. Um, You know, love is not easily angered, but if I am easily angered, then I'm obviously not motivated by love, so what is it that's driving me? For real change to happen, there needs to be Repentance, But what does that mean? What does it mean to repent? Well, repent means stop thinking what you currently think and think something else. To repent means stop wanting what you currently want and want something else. To repent means to stop seeking what you are currently seeking and seek something else. We humans have always carefully cultivated our image long before social media was ever invented. According to Jesus, the Pharisees were, were focused on extreme makeover image addition, or maybe you could say reputation addition. And this makes sense, actually. We do this in the hopes that if we work hard on the outside, we can somehow fix the gnawing emptiness on the inside. We do this... Uh, to seek the approval of God and our peers in the hopes that other people will be able to tell us um, that we are the people we wish we were. Of course, Jesus tells us to work on the exact opposite issue. Ignore the outside of the cup and dish, says Jesus. Clean the inside of the cup and dish, and the outside will be clean. Make the tree good, and the fruit will be good. Why are you managing the externals? manage the heart and the externals will take care of themselves. It used to be that the dominant malady of our society, um, at least I think, was materialism. And that hasn't changed. We're still very materialistic. But I think obsessive image cultivation has probably gotten uh, the inside track over materialism in the last decade or so with the way that social media is such an easy temptation to ego and self-centered, narcissistic, insecure uh, image cultivation. Every one of us, every one of us in the modern era is a media company with a a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week reality television show going on in which we are the stars of. And our audience, of course, is giving real-time feedback. It's instant, constant, global, and permanent. And man, do we care how people see us and what people think about us and say about us. Now, I'm not in any way saying that social media or technology or the internet or any of that stuff is evil. Um, It's just a tool. They're just tools. Let's talk about distraction. And just as powerful as the pull to obsess over our social capital is the constant opportunity to endless distraction. Endless information and amusement and conversation and acquisition and breaking news. It is distraction. We are, most of us at least, profoundly addicted to these little portals to the universe that we call cell phones. 
If there was ever a society that John the Baptist would have fled from to the wilderness, it's ours. A lifestyle of constant distraction and noise is missing enough solitude and silence to pay enough attention to one's soul to be able to deal in reality. Sometimes we think about addiction as the thing that people use to distract themselves from their pain or from themselves or from their lives, their unhappiness. For example, we would say somebody's an alcohol addict if they drink or a cocaine addict if that's what they use. But those are only wrong solutions to a deeper problem. And unless you fix the deeper problem, you'll always replace the addiction with some other addiction, some other distraction something else to keep you from actually fixing the real problem that's underneath the solution which became a problem. Really most of us are addicts, simply undiagnosed in in ways that are more socially acceptable. Isolation chambers are these little pods that have highly salinated water in them so that you float without touching anything and they're also uh, pitch black, light proof, and they're Uh, soundproof as well so that you're completely cut off from your normal experience of the world uh, through your senses. It's like floating in space or utter nothingness without a body. People go in for an hour and come out giggling and talking about the mysteries of their existence and they go in and spend an hour in there and come out saying, I need to make some major changes to my life. And that's after like one hour of just forcing themselves to be alone with their soul. In my mind, I've been crafting the ideal mini-retreat. I'm kind of thinking of a cabin with just a bed in a quiet woods, and I bring no phone, no books, no journal, no computer, no iPad, no notebook, no pen, not even a Bible, nothing to distract me from the most fundamental components of existence, me and God. And now we come finally to prayer. As I come into your presence, Jesus, I'm keenly aware that you're asking me to face myself. What are the roots of my anger? I'm not happy, but the question is why? What am I not happy about? You're calling me to stop blaming my anger on things that are not causing it, but are merely opportunities to express it. So, Father, I own that I'm not happy. I also own that I don't know why. I don't understand myself. And I lean on you for understanding, even of my own depths, however shallow they may turn out to be. And as I listen... I hear my soul asking, how? How can we keep on going after experiencing what we have? How can we dream again after the nightmares we've known? How can we start over again with all the water under the bridge? And how can we hope again with broken hearts? This landscape feels haunted with memories, memories of pain, reminders of what we wish we could forget and fear of what we hope we don't. I know, I know that something happens in your presence that I cannot explain. I come alive again. 
and I didn't do it. I dream again, and I didn't make it happen. The dormant seeds of dreams within me sprout long after I had concluded that there was nothing left alive at all. I had already given up. I'd crossed my name off the list. I thought it was a lost cause, a failure, a shipwreck. And it was. But death is not the end. Death doesn't have the last word. I know that for me, I'm, I'm inclined to preach something and then want to move on with my life and not think about it anymore, but it doesn't work when it's something that needs to be take on flesh in our life. We can't talk about it one Sunday and then move on. So I invite you, God, into some of this process with us that you're still our answer, you're still wanting to save us, and you're still wanting to be our answer in specific ways in our hearts and in our lives, retraining us and reforming us. I ask in Jesus' name for you to lead each of us. I pray for more encounters with your love, more encounters with your voice. Please, God, more. We need you more. We want you more. We have more available than we're accessing. And I know the problem's not on your end. And we say, yes, we invite you in. I invite you in. I open the door and I say, come on in. Let's talk. In Jesus' name, amen.